right, good morning, City Light. How are we doing? Good morning. Good to see y'all. Uh, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. If you're new, just want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Please feel free to come up, talk to me after, get our connect uh, cards from our welcome table. Make sure you get connected. We want to help you uh, navigate whatever it is you're going through in life. And so please uh, make sure to get connected with us. Today we're in our second part of our Conversation with God series in Habakkuk. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bible or your scripture journal there. Last week we gave away these scripture journals so you can take notes uh, and, and engage in the message and in your time with the Lord. So if you didn't get one of these last week and you need one today, not because you were here and you forgot yours, but because you don't have one, uh, raise your hand. We'd be happy to bring one to your seat. So if you need a scripture journal, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. These are very important because, as we said last week and as we always say, man shall not live by sermons alone. You need to learn to read and know the Bible and know the Lord for yourself in your own time with him. We want to equip you to do that as we teach and as we go through the scriptures together. So we started this last week. If you missed last week's sermon, it was called Confused but Confident. It's a really uh, necessary message for you to understand the whole series and to get a full picture of what God is doing and even what we're talking about today. And so if you want to go check that out on our podcast, I would encourage you to do that. This book works in a very linear fashion, and so we need to understand what has happened before so we can move forward to what is happening now. As a reminder from last week, Remember, we're in Habakkuk and in this series and in this time in God's Word because it's very uh, relatable to what we're doing now and in our own season of life here in 2020. Habakkuk was in the midst of a personal and national crisis. And he saw all these terrible things all around him. And his question was like, what are we to do with that, God? Like, what are you doing? And so the question for us is the same theme. And what does it look like for us to have a conversation with God, to ask real questions that we would like to have answers to, and to see how that was Habakkuk's experience and for us to learn from that. To say, man, in the midst of a personal national crisis, he had a conversation with God. He has some really hard questions. He got some pretty clear answers. And so it's very instructive for us as we think about the same questions and as we seek answers from the Lord. Last week we talked about his first question to God was he's looking around, everything's terrible, and his question is, why don't you do something? That's his first complaint. Everything's terrible, all this wickedness I see all around me. I know, God, that you love what is good and not what is wicked, and so why don't you do something? And that's what we talked about last week. What does it look like to be confused about what God is doing but confident in who God is? This is a category that's so important for us as we live our lives for Jesus. So the question last week, why don't you do something? God responds now, and he responded last week with an answer, but Habakkuk doesn't like his answer. So now the question is, well, why would you do that? So that's what we're talking about today. Last week, God, why don't you do something? Everything's terrible. Do something. And God's like, okay, I am doing something. Let me explain it to you. Habakkuk's like, no, 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 something else. Why would you do it that way? Why would you do that? And so many of you are in that same boat with him to say, man, my question is either why don't you do something or I'm aware that God is doing something but I don't like it. And my question to God right now is why would you do that? Why would you do it that way? Why would you involve that person? Why would my life take that path? Why would you do it that way? And this is the question we're going to see some answers about today from Habakkuk's life. And so go ahead and look with me, uh, verse 12 in chapter 1. We're going to read through chapter 2, verse 5. And you need to read this with that context in mind to help you really understand what he's saying. So Habakkuk responds to God's answer to his first complaint with the second complaint. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. 
Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He, meaning the king of Babylon, brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them together in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. He even sacrifices to his net. He makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? His question is, will this go on forever? So then he says, I will take my stand at my watch post. I will station myself on the tower. I will look out to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. So God answers, verse 2. And the Lord answered me. And he said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. That's a word already. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations, and he collects as his own all peoples. And so that's where we're stopping for this week. The sermon today, if you're taking notes, is called The Space In Between. The Space In Between. When God tells Habakkuk in verse 4, the righteous shall live by faith, he's teaching Habakkuk how to live in the space in between. This is what it means to live by faith, the space in between where you are, right, and where you would like to be, the space in between. The space in between your experience of what is and your knowledge of what really should be. The space in between. The space in between God's promises and the fulfillment of those promises. The space in between. The space in between your current experience of trouble and confusion and difficulty and what you hope one day is relief and deliverance and help and support but you don't see it now, you're in the space in between. The space in between is usually filled with confusion, pain, frustration, despair. The space in between is a really difficult thing for us to navigate in life. What does it look like for us to navigate the space in between? This is what he's telling Habakkuk how to do. And this is what we precisely need to learn. What does it look like for us to live in the space in between? What is and what we hope will be. And this is what he's going to help us do today. This is why he says the righteous shall live by faith. This is the most important sentence in the book. This is what the book is all about. He's trying to teach Habakkuk what does it mean to live by faith. 
And in light of being people who live well in the space in between, one of my convictions reading this is if anybody's going to do that well, if anybody's going to navigate the time, the space in between, my experience of what is and my knowledge of what should be, in between the promise and the fulfillment, if anybody can handle that space, it ought to be God's people. Right? And so we step into a space, a national election, all these things about what is and what could be, what should be or whatever, and everybody's shook and everybody's concerned and freaking out about how exactly this will play out, and the very people who should be firm, confident, and strong should be God's people. That we know how to live the space in between. Why? Because we have access to this thing called faith. Do you understand this, that those of you who are in the room who are apart from Jesus and haven't trusted in him, you don't have access to this thing called faith, and I hope that today, through believing and trusting in Jesus, you will. And for those of us who know the Lord personally, we have access to something called faith that gives us a totally different perspective on life and allows us to handle things supernaturally that the world can't handle, which is important for us to be different, that when things fall apart, no, we're firm and strong. We can live in the space in between. We can live in the midst of terrible circumstances. We can do that. Why? Because we're God's people. We have this thing called faith. And it allows us. And we should be the ones teaching others how to do that. We should be the examples of what does it look like to navigate the space in between. The space between what you want, what you hope would be, and what is. So to get there, um, God's going to teach us today in this book. So here's a sentence that basically summarizes our whole time together. To live by faith, this is so important, I must live by what God says and not by what I see. What does it mean for me to live by faith? What does that mean? What do I do? How do I practice that? And that means if I'm going to live by faith, I must live by what God says, not by what I see. And what's amazing about this is when I live by what God says and not by what I see, God changes how I see things. He changes what I see. And so I live by what God says, and it gives me confidence in who he is, in his promises, in his character, in who he is. And I don't live by what I see. I don't get in despair or depression or anything because of what I see. I don't get overly confused because of what I see. I'm confused, but I'm confident because of who God is. I don't live by what I see. I live by what God says. And when I live by what God says, he changes what I see. And so many of us are flipping it around. We're trying to live according to what we see and to apply God's word in that as opposed to living according to what God says and letting that rule over everything. If you start with what you can see, things are going to get real difficult. But if you start with what God says, then you can see the right things. It'll give you perspective. So I must live by what God says, not by what I see. So that's our goal to help us think through that together. Uh, There's a couple things I want to show you before we jump into that in terms of the space in between. There's two things I noticed about how to have a conversation with God I thought were just helpful for us. What does it look like? How do I have a conversation with God? The first, and this is so helpful, is that Habakkuk gets more confused the longer the conversation goes. So the more questions that get answered, the more questions that he has. The more information he gets, the more confused he gets. And if Habakkuk doesn't press through the point of confusion, he won't get to the side of clarity that God has for him later. And so many of us in our conversations with God stop at the point of confusion. We stop in our Bible reading at the point of confusion. 
we stop at the point of confusion as opposed to continuing the conversation, continuing to read, continuing to hear from the Lord, continuing in prayer, and pressing through to the point of clarity. And so this is what we learned to say, don't stop at the point of confusion. Keep having the conversation. Keep pressing through. God wants to give clarity. The second thing we see that I think is so important is in our conversations with God, as Habakkuk does in verse 12 and throughout the rest of the time, he brings God's word back up to God. So Habakkuk uses God's words to, to come up with words to talk to God. Look in verse 12. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my holy one? We shall not die. So he's saying, first of all, you've revealed your character to me. I see all these terrible things happening, but you've revealed who you are. And I know that you're from everlasting. You're bigger. You're stronger. You're better. And I know in verse, in verse 12 that you've promised we shall not die, that you said you would not destroy your people, that from this people you're going to redeem and bless the world. That's what you promised to Abraham all the way through. And so I know, based off your word, who you are, what your character is, and I know based off of your word how you're going to work in the midst of my community and my life. And because I know these things, I bring this back to you, O oh Lord. I speak God's words back to God, and that's how you have a good, holy, proper conversation with God. You've got to root yourself in God's word and what God has said. Part of it is preaching to yourself. God doesn't need to be reminded that he's from everlasting. He's aware of that. He doesn't forget. But you do. And so do I, to say, Lord, as I talk to you, I'm going to put this conversation in the context of what you've already said, who you've already revealed yourself to be, and I'm not going to make my circumstances the primary context of my conversation. The primary context of my conversation is going to be your revelation, what you've revealed to me, and that's going to be what I hold on to, and I'm going to bring my life and my circumstances into that environment. So as we talk about the space in between, the first one that we're going to uh, see and talk about is the space between my experience of what is, okay, my experience, this is, this is Habakkuk's problem, my experience of what is and my knowledge over here of what should be. So this is Habakkuk's problem. He's saying, my experience of what is is wickedness triumphs, uh, there's no justice, and all these terrible things are happening and people are hurting one another, and they're not honoring the Lord. My knowledge is that the Lord doesn't love wickedness, that he brings justice on that, and that also he has a plan for his people. So it can't possibly be that, that God's going to destroy us, and it can't possibly be that God's okay with the wickedness I see because my knowledge tells me that God's different, but I'm in this space in between where my experience doesn't seem to match up with what I know to be true. With my experience of what is is not in line with my knowledge of what should be. And this is his struggle. And so many of us have that same predicament to say, my experience of what is, even now in this time in my life, doesn't seem to match up or align with my knowledge of what should be, with my knowledge of God's character, with my knowledge of how God works in the world. My experience right now doesn't seem to match up with that. And so the question for us is, how do I live by faith in the space in between my experience of what is and my knowledge of what should be? And that's what Habakkuk helps us do here in this conversation with God by bringing God's words back to him. Write this down. When my knowledge of God does not correspond with my experience of God, my conversations must be filled with the word of God. 
how do I live by faith when my experience doesn't seem to line up with what I know to be true and what should be? I live by faith by bringing God's words back to him, by filling my conversation with his word to root myself in who he is and what he's done to preach to myself and to have a conversation with God that's effective because God always makes good on his word. So when you pray his word, it will be answered. And God will respond according to his word. And so when, I, when my knowledge of God doesn't correspond with my experience of God, my conversations must be filled with the word of God. That is what it looks like to live by faith when my experience and my knowledge don't match up. And so many times we get so focused on what is happening, on the circumstance, on the situation, on the person involved, on this, everything that's going on, that we look to what we see, not to what God has said. We put the context in the conversation of what we see, we let that run the show, and we throw little bits and pieces of what God has said, and it helps just a little bit. But you flip that around the other side, the context of the conversation is surrounding what God has said, and I bring my experience into that, and I let the knowledge of what is true speak louder than my experience of what is happening around me, right? To live by faith means I, I trust what God has said and I don't look to what I see. I live by what God says, not by what I see. So the space between my experience of what is happening and my knowledge of what should be. There's a second space in between. It's my present and my future. So now Habakkuk's gonna help us think through the space between where I am and where I'm going. Where I am and where I'm going, the space between where I am and where I want to be. What does it look like to live well in the space in between where I am and where I want to be? Where I am currently and the pathway it takes to get to where I want. How does that look to live in the space in between where I am and where I'm going in between my present, which isn't what I thought it would be, in my future, which looks unclear the path to get there? The reason why it's so difficult is because often our present isn't what we thought the present would be, and our future that we hope happens, we can't see the path it takes to get there. And so now we're in this space in between, and we're really struggling. This is exactly what Habakkuk is struggling with here, because his whole problem, if you summed up verses 12 through 17, is this. God, you have promised to redeem your people, you have promised to bring the Messiah through your people, and you have promised not to make an end of your people. You have made a promise that your people will always be. And so now you're telling me that another nation more wicked than us is going to come destroy us, take us out of our country, move us to another land, and burn everything down. And my question for you, God, is how in the world will that get us from where we are to where we're supposed to go. That plan does not look very good. It doesn't look like it gets me from where I am to where I am supposed to go. It doesn't look like there's a good, strong path between my present and my future based off God's revealed plan. This is his main complaint, is to say, God, if you let this happen, it looks like we will go backwards instead of forwards. If you let this happen, it looks like it will be the end. If you let this happen, it looks like what you have promised will not come true. How could that be? And what I want us to learn from here and what God is trying to teach us is that in his infinite wisdom, what looked like the end for them was really the beginning of the fulfillment of what God was going to do. What looked like the end was the beginning. What looked like a stop, a full stop, was actually a continuation 
What looked like it was taking them backwards away from the future they desired was actually the very thing that was going to move them forward into the future that God had called them to. It was all a matter of perspective. What they called devastation, God would call restoration, that in wrath they would find mercy. So they look, he says, this looks like it takes your plan backwards. And then God wants to say, no, my plan is always moving forwards. It's a matter of your perspective that God is always doing a million things. And in your life, oftentimes, what looks like a full stop is actually a continuation. What looks like the end is very likely the beginning. And what looks like a moment of devastation is very likely the very place in which God will bring restoration. This is what it means to have faith in the perspective of God. And we see this ultimately in the cross, that when Jesus receives God's wrath, and he pours out God's wrath on Jesus Christ, in that very same place where wrath comes, the people of God receive mercy. Right? Because of wrath, there is mercy. With no wrath, there would be no mercy. What we call devastation at first turns into restoration three days later when Jesus rises again. This is how it is true in the scriptures for us to have God's perspective of faith. When it looks like my life is moving backwards, if I'm trying to follow Jesus and it still looks that way, then I can be assured that what I call backwards, God calls forwards. And that the path that is clear to my future is one God is laying out. And to walk by faith means I know that God's shooting me on a straight line to that, but I can't see it played out. So I don't walk by what I see, I walk by what God has said. You know, one time I was thinking about this, my transmission went out in my car, uh, and I don't know much about cars, but I got in my car one day, and I could only drive backwards. The car would only drive backwards, it would not drive forwards. And they explained to me that this is what happens when your transmission goes out. So I had never been in this situation. I get in my car. It's this old Toyota Camry, like 210,000 miles. It had done me well. I get in one day, and I can only drive backwards. And so, luckily, well, thank the Lord, uh, there was a gas station right in my neighborhood. So I didn't even have to get on a main road or anything like that. But my only solution was to drive backwards to the gas station. And so I got in my car, and as carefully as I could, tried to pull out the best driver in me, I began to drive backwards into the gas station. And you should see the looks on people's faces as I'm just imagining you're driving in your neighborhood, or you're walking down your road, or you're going for a run, and all of a sudden you see a car on your street just driving backwards. And the guy's like this, he's not backing into a parking spot, he's not, he's just driving, driving down long roads, driving backwards for a good several minutes, I was just driving backwards. Uh, eventually I got to the gas station safe and sound, it was, you know, very skillful, man, I killed it, and so I was very proud of myself. And I get there, and uh, you know, the car, they tell me everything that's wrong with the car, and as I was thinking about this, I thought about that, because the people that were looking at me from the side on the road in different cars would think I was going backwards, but because I was the driver of the seat, driver of the car, I was actually going forwards. What looked backwards to them was actually forwards to me because I was headed in the direction that I wanted to go, because I was the driver. So what looked backwards to them from the street looked forward to me because of I was the driver. And so now you think about your life to say God is the driver of your life. And sometimes you and I are like the people walking on the side. Say it looks like you're driving backwards. That looks dumb. But little do we know he's pulling you right into the gas station. What looks backwards to you is directly in line with where he wants to take you. He's taking you to the place he wants to get you. It looks backwards to you, but it's actually moving you forwards in what he's called you to. It's a matter of perspective. 
And when we know God's in the driver's seat, then we can know he's taking us to the destination he wants for us, always. So what may look backwards to you and to me is forward to God. And this is how I live by faith in between where I am and where I'm going, and especially when I have a difficulty understanding how what's happening to me now charts any path for my future. Like, how is what's happening to me now opening up any doors for my future? How is what's happening to now making any clear path to what God has called me to or what I sense God is leading me to or even what's clearly his promises in the scriptures? How can what's happening to me now in my life as it currently is be any way going forward to that place when it feels like I'm just going backwards? And this is what the Lord wants to say to you today is that what you call backwards, he calls forwards. What you call restoration, devastation, he calls restoration. What you call a stop, God calls the beginning. It's all a matter of perspective. This is what it means to live by faith. This is why it's so important because you, through faith in Jesus, have access to a supernatural way of thinking and living that the world does not have access to. No access to that. And for you to say, I have this gift of faith, but I don't exercise and use it would be a total waste. A total waste. God wants to give you spiritual eyes to see. He wants to give you a new perspective on what God is doing. He wants to remove the veil and help you see, look at me, I'm going backwards, but you're actually supposed to be right there. So backwards is really good. Because if you went forwards, you would walk away from what God was calling you to. You ever thought about that? If he said yes to your prayer, or if you move forward in the thing that you thought was ahead of you, that you would be walking away from the very place where God wants to take you. And that if God wants me to go there and my face is looking there, the best thing he can do is take me backwards. That's mercy to move me backwards. That's grace to move me backwards. That's kindness to move me backwards. And in God's infinite wisdom, I begin to get his perspective that it feels like, God, you're dragging me backwards and my plans are going backwards and my life is going backwards, but the end, the end destination is backwards. And that's where the Lord really wants you to be and that's where the blessing and everything that he has for you is and that if he allows you to keep moving forward, it would be to your own destruction. Backwards is forwards when God's the driver of the car. And this is so important for us. The space between where I am and where I'm going, the space between my present and my future. The next one is the space between the promise, now we're talking scriptures here, the space between the promise of God and the fulfillment of God's promise. So now Habakkuk's issue is how do I live by faith? What, what do I do when God's promise to redeem, restore, to use his people to bless the world and to never make an end of them, which is what God promised, how do I navigate the space in which God is making an end of us while understanding the fulfillment of what God has promised? How do I do that? And so it is for us in the scriptures when I say that God has promised, right, this amazing home called heaven and he's promised this redemption and restoration and yet I'm in the space in between until that point. So how do I navigate that space? Or even more specifically to your life, how God has been leading and things he has promised you in the scriptures, the way he works to bring restoration, to renewal, to bring increased faith, to do all the things that you're asking him to do but you don't feel like you're experiencing yet or seeing in the world around you but you know they're good because God said it would be this way. And for you to say, God, you promised but I don't see the fulfillment, what does it look like to be faithful in this moment? This is what Habakkuk is wrestling with, the same it, it is with us. 
Well, let's look at verse 2. We're going to learn some helpful things about how do I navigate the space in between the promise and the fulfillment. First of all, verse 2, the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain, so he may run who reads it. I love this because God responded finally with clarity and precision, that God said, I'm going to make it plain for you. And this is true for you and for me too, that faith, to live by faith, is not to take a blind leap in the dark. That's stupid, that's foolish, and that is not at all what faith is. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Faith is a response to God's revelation and a response to God's character to say, my faith is in the infinite wisdom, love, mercy, power of God. Say, that's where I put my faith. It is not a blind leap in the dark. I'm not just hoping and wishing for the best. Faith is not having these like rose-colored glasses about things that could happen and will happen. Faith is not that. It is not a blind leap in the dark. What happens with faith is I remember who God is, what he has done, and what he has said, and I live by what he says, not by what I see, because God has made it plain and clear who he is. You have to hear me. To walk by faith, you need no more information. You have enough revelation. You don't need any more information. You don't need any more information about what your next steps will look like, any more information about what might happen tomorrow, any more information from that person you're trusting in or counting on. You don't need any more information to live by faith because you have enough revelation. God has made it plain. God is not confusing, and God has not left you without the sufficient information revelation that you need to be able to navigate your circumstances. God is not confusing. His ways may be confusing. Our circumstances may be confusing, but God himself is not. He is clear, and he has given us so much of his word to help us, and God wants to make it plain and clear to you who he is, what he's done, and how you can trust him. You can walk by faith because God has made it plain. When you feel confused about what is happening, find your confidence in what God has already said, who he is, how he promises to work in your life. So God has made it plain. When you feel like God is confusing, you go to his word. He'll make it plain who he is and what you can trust in. In verse 3, look at this, though. (laughs) The vision, it says, awaits its appointed time. It awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. If it seems slow, wait for it. I mean, that's a a sentence right there. If it seems slow, wait for it. The vision awaits its appointment. Write this down. I think this is so important. God only works by appointment. And God is neither early, early or late. God only works by appointment. He only works by appointment. He's never late and he's never early. He's perfectly right on time. With everything in your life, with everything in our country, with everything in the world, God works by appointment. And what he's telling Habakkuk is the appointment is set and the time is coming, and now simply your job is to wait for the appointment. Your job is to believe that God is working and he works by appointment. He's never early nor late. I was thinking about this in terms of like, you know, when you're waiting for the doctor or whatever, you may have to wait a long time, but you know that I have an appointment, and so eventually I'm going to see this person, and they're going to hopefully help me. But imagine if I said, you just have to go sit in the doctor's office, you know, and just see. You know, you have no appointment, you just see, see if they let you in, see what happens. Maybe you have to sleep there a couple nights, you know. Just wait until something happens, and hopefully it'll work out for the best. You would sit in there, and you would feel real frustrated, angry, upset. The waiting would be really difficult. 
But if you knew you had an appointment, then you can wait because you have something to anticipate. Now, this is what it means to wait scripturally is not to just wait randomly, not to just hope for the best, not to just wait forever, but to know that God has an appointment in my life that God has an appointment for the things he's orchestrating for me, that God has an appointment for the things he's doing in this nation and in this world, that God has appointment for all these things, and I am simply awaiting my appointment. I'm awaiting the time in which God calls me into the thing he's leading me to. I'm awaiting the time in which he opens the door that he's supposed to open. I'm awaiting the time in which he reveals himself in the way that I've been pleading. I'm awaiting the time, and God's not just making me wait in vain. God tells me that I have an appointment. I have an appointment. Turn to your neighbor and say, I have an appointment. Say, I have an appointment. Like you believe it, I have an appointment. I have an appointment. I have an appointment. I am not waiting in vain. I am not just hoping for the best, that by God's providence, my vision and the life that he has for me and the life that he has for this nation and this world and the things he are doing work by appointment. And therefore, since God is always on time, I can trust his appointment, and I can wait with diligence and patience because he will make good on his promise. Second Peter 3, 4 through 10. I, I love this because Peter's arguing with people because they're basically saying, hey, you've been telling us this whole time that Jesus was going to come back, and now they're like, ha, ah, he's not here yet, you know. Uh, you guys are stupid, you know. And he's, they're, they're trying to fight this to say uh, they're arguing that Jesus isn't coming back and that you guys are believing in some fairy tale. And then five years, ten years, twenty years, two thousand years later, right, he still hasn't come back and revealed what he's going to do. And so Peter's dealing with this issue to say, you said Jesus was coming back soon, and I haven't seen it yet. So what's up with that? And this is Peter's response. They will say, hey, where is the promise of his coming? That's what they're going to say. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water, through water by the word of God. And that by means of those, the world then existed, was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as, comes, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that everyone should reach repentance. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. You need to tell yourself that. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Look in verse 3. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will come. It will not delay. So what does faith say? Faith says God will not delay, that his appointment will be right on time, that he is not slow in fulfilling his promise for me and for what he has planned for me. I see and feel that it looks like a delay. It looks like slowness. It looks like it's taking too long. And so now I can choose. Will I live by what I see, slow, or will I live by faith in what God has said that is coming? And that's the space in between where now I make a decision. Am I living by faith in what God has said or am I living by what I see? And God is telling us, hey, live by faith in what I have said and what I have revealed to you that it may seem slow, but wait for it. It may seem slow, but wait for it. It may seem slow, but wait for it. God has an appointment. 
To live by faith means I live by what God says and not by what I see. And I thought about this in terms of being in a plane, where when you're in a plane, it feels like you're going very slow. It doesn't feel like you're making much progress. If you just were put on a plane and you weren't given any information, you would think that this is going to take a long time for me to get to where I'm going to go. But then, when you know the truth, the plane, even though it feels slow, is actually moving at way faster speed than you've ever been in your life. You're going faster in the plane than you've ever experienced or felt in your life. But if all you did was focused on how you felt and what you saw, you'd feel like it was going really slow. And God works in the same way to say, man, this feels slow, but from God's perspective, look at verse 3. Uh, it hastens to the end. I feel slow. God's saying, man, I'm rushing this thing. This is hastening. It's coming. It's coming quick. And for me to say, what has God said? How does that tell me what I see? So if I'm in a plane, I can focus on what I see and be like, man, this is going to take forever. Or I can focus on what somebody said about the truth about how planes work and be like, oh, this is going to be pretty fast. And so that's how this works for you and for me to know what does it mean to live between the promise and the fulfillment when it feels slow, God is making good on his promise. Another thing we need to remember is that as we wait, waiting is not being idle. Waiting is not being passive. Waiting is a time to exercise faith. You have to remember this, okay? What you and I call in between, God calls in progress. What you and I think is a time of being neutral, a time of waiting for whatever is to come, God calls it a time of being active, a time of working. When you and I feel like we're in a season of waiting, God is always in a season of working. And so there actually never is a space in between what, I, what, what will be and what is. There never is a space in between where I'm waiting for God to do something that he's not already doing. God is always doing something. When it feels like I'm in a space in between and that my life is on neutral, that my life is on hold, that it cannot move forward until the next step is made clear and revealed, then I know that God is actually doing something in the midst of that place that what I call waiting, God calls working. I am never in neutral. Nothing is never the thing that is happening. God is always working and always moving and always doing things. And what I call in between, God calls in progress. So waiting is an active effort for me to exercise faith, to trust and to join God in what he's doing in my life. It is not a time to get to the other side. It is not a time to just wait for it to be over. No, the waiting experience is the very thing that God wants you to experience. It's the very thing in which God is working. It's not the thing just to get through. So when you're in a season of waiting, it is not so that you can just get to the other side, so that God can do what he wants to do in your life right now. You are never in neutral. Waiting is not waiting just for waiting's sake. God has an appointment. And so this encourages us and helps us to persevere. Okay, the final gap, the most important gap, is the space in between my sin and God's presence. This is the space in between that matters the most for every human in the world. The space in between my sin and God's presence. What the Bible teaches us is that my sin and the things I've done against God and against others create a huge gap between my life and my ability to be in God's presence and namely to be with him in heaven one day. That my sin causes a problem, it causes a space, it causes a gap between me and between God. 
This is the greatest problem of the human race. This is our main issue in life. This is the issue the people in Habakkuk had. And what we need to be aware of is that some people there did receive wrath because they were unrepentant. They stayed in the place of their sin without repentance. What they got was wrath. And instead of getting God's presence, they got the opposite. They got God's judgment and God's wrath. And so then Paul pulls this verse up. So Paul's talking later, hundreds of years later, Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. So now he picks up what Habakkuk said hundreds of years before, and he says it to his people right in front of him, and we do the same thing. The righteous shall live by faith. So what he's saying now is faith is the gift that allows you to believe and to receive the gospel message of Jesus, that Jesus, the Son of God, died in my place on the cross for my sins, that he rose from the grave and he lives forevermore. And he says, if anyone would believe in me, that person could go from being in their sin to being in God's presence. And this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, it is faith, it is the very faith that you are given to go from sin to presence that is the very faith you use to live out the rest of your life. You have to hear me here, this is so important. For those of you who are in the room, watching along, whatever it may be, that God is asking you to believe and to trust in him, to exercise faith, to believe that the only way you get from your sin to God's presence is not from going to church, watching services, being a nice person, serving the poor, not killing anybody. Those things don't matter. The only thing that gets you from a place of sin to God's presence is the grace of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. That's the only thing. And so you have to believe and put your faith in him. It is the only bridge between your sin and God's presence. It is your only hope, and you must repent and turn to him. That is the only thing you need to do today. And for those of us that know the Lord, this is the most important thing in your life, that the same faith that you put in God to get you from your sin to God's presence, the same faith that you put in God to get you from your problems, right, to God's solution, the same faith that you put in God to get you from a place of judgment called hell to a place of pleasure called heaven, the same faith that you put in God to save your soul is the very same faith that you use when you're in a season of waiting in between your experience and knowledge. It's the same faith that helps you navigate where I am and where I want to be. It's the same faith that helps you in the time of waiting between what God has promised and what God is going to fulfill. The same faith that started your walk with Jesus is the same faith that will finish it. It's the same one, so you have to apply that. And instead of looking at what you see, you have to remember what God has said, and namely what God has done, to say, Lord, if I trust you to pay for all of my sins, and if I think the cross is big enough to bridge the gap between my sin and God's presence, and if I think Jesus is big enough to take care of and pay for all my sins, then I think Jesus is big enough to handle my season right now in between what I experience as is and what I know should be. I think the cross is sufficient enough then, if it gets me from sin to presence, then the cross is sufficient to get me from a place of where I am to where I want to be in my future. If I think the cross is sufficient to get me from sin to God's presence, then I know the cross will be sufficient to get me from what God has promised to when he will fulfill that in my life. If I trusted in Jesus for that to begin with, then I must trust in Jesus to continue. 
this is what it means for a Christian to live by faith. Is the very same thing that I trusted in Jesus for from the beginning is the very same thing that I trust him with now to continue. And so many of us make the mistake of getting beyond, of going beyond, of trying to do something else as opposed to having childlike faith to say the very same thing I trusted you with at first, Lord. I'm going to take that and the same faith that I used then is the faith I'm asking for and that I want to use now. And if I trust you to save my soul from hell, then surely I can trust you to handle my current situation. If you're big enough to handle my sin, all of it, surely you're big enough to handle my problems currently. And I take what God has done and I apply it to my current circumstance and then God gives me new eyes to see. Eyes to see, eyes that give me faith, that help me walk in the thing he has called me to. So to live by faith, I must live by what God says not by what I see. Let me pray for us. Let's respond to Jesus together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you that, that you have made it plain, Lord, that we're not left without the revelation of who you are, of how you work, of what you're doing. We thank you that all your promises are good and sure, and they come to pass, Lord, and you've made good on so many of them already. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, for his life, death, and resurrection, that in his name we have hope. I pray, God, for eyes of faith. I pray, God, that you would give your people eyes of faith, that we would see as you see, that we would have supernatural power because we have supernatural access to different information. Give us your perspective. Give us insight into what you are doing and help us, Lord, to be unique in the world, to be a people who actually live by faith who live by what you have said and not by what we see. And may you use that testimony, Lord, to influence the world around us and to bring many more people into your kingdom together. So we love you and we ask that you would strengthen your people with faith this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.